0: Um, so, shall we refill the tea?
1: A tea fill? Oh, is there nothing left?
0: There is enough. There's enough. (sighs)
1: Okay. It's
0: just a a teeny tiny cup of tea.
1: I am running quite low on milk, so if you do want another cup of tea, you're gonna have to want it disgusting, because (laughs) I've literally... Terracotta. Yeah, I've not got any other... That's fine, baby. thing. Okay. I'm sufficiently caffeinated right now. Do
0: you remember when I said that one cup of tea was worth four cups of coffee?
1: (laughs) Did you know? (laughs) About one cup of tea is worth 10,000 <laughs> cups of coffee. <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to Art And.
0: My name's Nathan.
1: And my name is Sophie. We are both fine art artists, fine artists. <laughs> we're both fine. <laughs> and we're both <laughs> artists. And we decided together that we wanted to make a podcast because there's no... Re- there's a bit of a gap in the market. There's yeah. Just, there's no, no one really about need to, fine art, People really. need to be
0: talking about art and we're speaking from painter's perspectives, which is really, really important. We're not only going to be talking about us as painters and other painters, we are going to be talking about sculptors and drawers and makers of things, but painting feels like a little bit of a dying...
1: It's a bit of a dying art, it's a bit of a weird one. There's lots of, I think the birth of being original is great. Yeah. But also if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
0: So true. So there's quite an interesting perspective Mm -hmm. that we're learning. So today's episode is art and sex. Fabulous. (laughs) That was very well timed. Thank you.
1: I also think as well that, so we have both, so this year we both graduated with first class degrees Hell and I think yeah. one of, thank you, I think one of our pet peeves when it comes to the world of academia mm. is how not easy it is to understand anything and I would like to present our knowledge collectively mm. to be understood and digested by everyone because I'm fed up, <laughs> I'm so fed up of this kind of There's like
0: elitist Yeah. classist
1: and just to kind of, it doesn't make you. Spe- if I go, oh my god, I can't understand this. You must be so well versed in your education. I go, I switch off. Oh I don't god, care yeah. Anymore. And I think as well, the main reason this podcast can be so beneficial both ways is because it's encouraged me to do more research. I am a figurative oil painter. I've been painting for about a decade, but I've been painting like as an actual painter for. Maybe about five or six years.
0: To be fair, like on that principle, we've both been painting since we came out of the womb. Yeah. Doesn't mean it was any good
1: though. Yeah. I've been speaking for, well, God, almost all my life. <coughs> I uh, I know many words. Um, So I've been fairly serious about art and painting for, yeah, just a while. Yes, I'm a figurative oil painter and I quite like making works that can be seen and absorbed and understood by as many people as possible, as mm. wide of an audience as possible. You're very,
0: like, human experience-driven.
1: Yeah. I want to make sure that my experiences, I know, aren't just intrinsic to me. Mm. But because I felt them, I know them and understand them, I then want to depict them for other people mm. to then...
0: And visually, the way in which you depict your work really allows for an interesting interaction mm. from the way your audience absorbs it.
1: Mm.
0: So how do, how do you figuratively paint
1: there's like a little bit of inspiration of hieroglyphics just this really theatrical and really expressive and very
0: very symbolic yes like your work has so much symbolism in it
1: and i think having that visual communication so uh kind of come so easily and recognizable obviously mm. i know hieroglyphics very really fucking complicated and we don't really know what they mean today
0: <laughs> we don't know. Anyway.
1: The Egyptians, all over that, they loved it.
0: So what you're saying is, in ancient Egypt, you would be a very successful artist. She would have thrived, yeah. I would have have
1: earned so much money if I was born 3,000 years ago. (laughs) The thing that makes me want to make Mm. is when I go to a gallery or I'll go and see a piece of art and there's a feeling inside that I think's never going to happen again until it happens again.
0: Oh, that feeling when you... It happened to us when we saw Alice Neals.
1: Yeah, at the Barbican. Solo
0: exhibition at the Barbican in London in March 2023, so earlier this year.
1: There's just a stirring feeling in me that if I see something great, I go, (sighs) I, I think I can change the world. Like... I, there's something within this where I'm so moved by it and I find it so fascinating that something completely still and in a way two-dimensional mm. can be, and also can be hundreds of years old, can eviscerate such a fresh, unique and prominent feeling within me. Yes.
0: And it's Who, like, we have not been alive for very long in the yeah, band scheme of everything. Absolutely.
1: And it's something that... I know I've experienced, and I know how much it's changed me.
0: I, I mean, I remember both Sophie and I have been to Paris, but at separate times. And you went to the Musée d'Orsay. Oh. So when God. when she got home from a holiday, one of the first things we talked about was how you saw an original Van Gogh. Mm. Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Yes, you saw an original Van Gogh. Yes. I saw lots of
1: original Van Goghs.
0: I remember us getting like very emotional in that conversation. We get very emotional. Very emotional people. Yeah. And, yeah, that, like, changed your life.
1: Yeah, I, like, I I cried like a baby. I was so... It, I was just so moved by it all, and I think that that... The power that that can have is something that is very, very valuable, and...
0: If we have one chance at doing that to other people, like, I think the one thing we both paint... The one reason we both truly paint is to create an emotional reaction.
1: They do say that... I've heard like word on the artist street <laughs> is that to the thing of art is to evoke feelings.
0: Yeah, like I've said since day one, I don't care actually if you love or you hate my work. I care that you feel something.
1: If you're bored, I failed.
0: Yeah, Just like feel we've done strongly something wrong. about it. Yeah. So in terms of the way your work looks. Yeah. Of course for our visual audience Hmm. will insert some shameless pluggy pictures
1: oh fabulous however
0: for our podcast listeners yes what does your work look like
1: so i paint basically exclusively naked people i think the reason for this maybe is because i struggle to dress myself in the morning so obviously (laughs) not going to make that permanent decision for those people so true those poor bastards but also i think having When I'm painting a lot about vulnerability and emotions and experiences, I think just stripping a person down to quite literally their bare form Mm. just helps articulate that message a little bit better, I think.
0: And that's also really interesting because we are going to be talking about art and sex
1: Mm.
0: in this episode. Sex is going to come up very, very soon. Mm. Um, And it's quite interesting that that is your approach to nudity and naked people.
1: Yes, because with the nude versus the naked, I have never once thought to paint anything towards my viewpoint or experience of sex. Yes. Despite painting naked and people all the time.
0: Your naked people. it's really, really inspired by the expressionists mm. as a collective and particularly German expressionism. Yes. And I feel like what you adopt from that is some beautiful exaggerated proportions.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Um, lots of hands, lots of big hands.
1: Yeah, just kind of... Uh,
0: Massive women,
1: yeah, ginormous women, like kind of very big shoulders, very big hands, very large eyes. I think it just helps articulate emotions, especially since there's quite a lot of the macabre, melancholy that I might want to yeah. articulate. And if there's someone crying and they've got these huge, beautiful eyes, and they it's, I think it just kind of helps tie in the message quite a lot. Mm. And I think with the expressionists, what I loved so much is that they, in a way, they were doing realism of their reality. They were painting their reality. Yes. And I think...
0: And that was obscured. Yeah. By many, many things. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So the reality at the time of what... They were painting how they felt, not what they saw. Um, But yeah, I think it's just quite interesting because as much as I paint naked people with no uh, sort of... No knowing sexual undertone, I think the way you paint nudity and nakedness Mm. does have a sexual tenderness to it.
0: It does. So this is very much how we're different, because I think our descriptions on paper somewhat sound a little bit similar. I'm also a figurative oil painter. I paint pretty much exclusively naked people as well. However, I am a realism oil painter. Um, We talk a lot about how boring realism is boring. Good realism is good. There is such a thing as boring realism, and I completely agree. But I have this very, very, very kind of personally charged, but also like socially charged Mm. sexualization and sexual experience that feeds my practice. So um, I paint, I've painted some extremes. I've painted like what essentially looks like pornography.
1: I would say it is pornography. It's erotica.
0: Incredibly pornographic erotica style of work that was probably about three to four years ago i i become a little bit more subtle as i've gotten a bit older
1: yeah i think the idea of the tender and the emotional and the intimate aspects Mm. of sex intimacy yeah
0: intimacy drives everything i paint Mm. um i am in a open a sexually open relationship with my partner we've known each other for nearly a year now Um, and we've been open since day one but also before that I had quite interesting, quite fluid and dynamic sexual relationships with people and that is a very very big driver for me. I do not believe that nudity is intrinsically sexual at all.
1: I I don't
0: think because I don't look at Soph's work for example and I don't I didn't look at a lot of Alice Neal's work and I've also got one of her books here Mm. so we'll have a look at that. I didn't look at some of Alice Neel's paintings a lot of which were nude as sexual paintings you wouldn't necessarily i don't i don't I'm not going to speak for the whole world but I wouldn't necessarily look at any of Lucian Freud's nude paintings and deem them sexual but they were nude
1: this is what's interesting about the subject of sex is that mm in the venn diagram you can tell how much sex i'm having if i'm using fucking venn diagrams um (laughs) is in the venn diagram in the venn diagram of everything the things that can include and also be so far away from sex i.e nudity Mm. there's so many things that can straddle on the side of sex and almost like anti-sex as well like being naked isn't equivalent to being sexual but you have to for the most part you have to be naked to have sex
0: and this is what's also incredibly interesting, is we are both British, if you can't tell. Hey,
1: like, we're literally drinking tea we're right We're literally, now. <laughs> like, look at this. <laughs> Hello, Ooh, governor. A cup of tea.
0: Um, and I think it is very, very intrinsic to British culture, particularly, that nudity is a big problem in this mm. country. We don't know how to act. Our sexual education... Is awful.
1: I feel like we just come out of the womb embarrassed. I feel like we
0: do. British
1: culture is very. We literally
0: come like, out like this. We're like, Ooh.
1: you just have to apologise for being. Oh, sorry. Oh, what, good heavens. Oh, 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 sorry.
0: Sorry. No, you go. Oh,
1: no, you. Me. Like it's just all so apologetic, and I think mm. that adds into this idea of shame, and adds into this idea of being sexually not very confident.
0: Yes, and an incredibly
1: higgledy piggledy
0: the sort of prim and proper oh. depiction this is really, really important mm. depiction of history of British history um, the yeah. reality is is we've always had sex yeah sex has been around lit- since day dot yeah that's
1: you kind know, of the whole thing whether you
0: believe in Adam and Steve yeah or whether you believe in the birth of the universe
1: yeah
0: when humankind took step on this earth one of the first things we did was have sex uh, and that doesn't mean that every single human these days is a sexual person. You know, asexuality is considerably more talked about. But in the broad spectrum of things, we are an incredibly sexual species. Mm. And culturally, British artists and British history and the way our monarchy is kind of depicted throughout history yeah. is we've got this really, really, like, tight kind of, all sort of feel to how we've approached sex, the way in which sex is discussed with, like, children throughout education is bad. Like, we do not have a good sex education system in this country, and I think that's really important when talking about art. But one thing that we really believe Mm. is art is the only depiction of humankind and human culture throughout all of history. You've got archeologists who dig up bones, But the first thing you've actually got and the first thing we actually found was paintings inside of caves. And people might go, well, they just, you know, they drew stick men with red pigment on cave walls. They did, but that is art. And we started making and we started picture making Mm. from when we started having sex. Mm. So I would say they are intrinsically linked.
1: Yeah, I'd say that this idea of documentation and mark making, especially of. So, when you look at cave paintings, it's what people were doing at the time.
0: Mm. And what they
1: were doing is hunting massive mammals with spears and and
0: procreating. And
1: procreating, Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, erotic themes have always been present in art and documentation. Human genitalia has been found in cave paintings as drawings, not just, like, on the floor. Um, <laughs> they've been found in cave paintings and stone carvings that are up to 12,000 years old.
0: 12,000 years. And that's a minimum. That's just, like, how much access we have to human history. That's
1: just the stuff that survived.
0: Exactly.
1: With that, there's a lot of evidence of sexual drawings, sexual... Um, Sexual scenes in ancient Greece. They were big producer of erotica. Mm. Walls of buildings on ceramics, even they... moulded into the surfaces of household tools. Which I think they were. Interesting.
0: The ancient Greeks knew how to pie. Um, Just most... household
1: tools for me. Is <laughs> Just uh... having
0: like a wang on your hammer.
1: Yeah, or <laughs> a spoon. I don't. I don't know.
0: Darling, can you please pass me the vagina spoons? We're having to. <laughs>
1: um,
0: also, most men, if not all men. In ancient greece were openly bisexual this this is also a big patriarchal thing though Mm. it wasn't really deemed like women throughout all of history right up until like the 20th century so within the last 100 years women being either lesbian or bisexual has is just not really recognized and it's just they were n-
1: really good friends, Nathan. They were
0: su- they were such good friends, These two Sophie. women
1: that were exclusively together, had a house together. Never
0: married. Never
1: married. Never had children. And just lived together at a time where it probably wasn't the best time to be gay. Were great friends. They were
0: besties. They
1: were such good friends and they didn't even need a man. <laughs> they didn't have husbands. They didn't want them. <laughs>
0: they, didn't, who and they, were,
1: they were fine. They had friendship, is what they had. <laughs>
0: Very very close friendship.
1: And I think this is something that I would quite like to get maybe a little bit deeper into if we do have time later on, that art and sex is very, very closely linked to queerness. And I think we wouldn't (laughs) have the depictions of sex we have in art history if it wasn't for queer people. Yes.
0: And also, mini coming out statement, I identify as a queer man, I'm in a gay relationship with a cis man, and I am also a trans man. And we'll be talking a little bit about that.
1: I, we co-ran a LGBTQ plus society in uni.
0: We did. I we ad- did a big exhibition. It was called the Lavender Exhibition.
1: It was very gay. It was heavy. very gay.
0: It was really good.
1: And so I'm a bisexual woman, but I'm in a heteronormative relationship, essentially.
0: Yes. Yeah, I think that as a cisgender woman yeah. in a bisexual relationship with a cisgender man, there is a lot of bi erasure, And we're going to talk about bi erasure a lot.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, so I've got a book here, which is Monumental. And it's a Lucien Freud book, and it's published by... Aquavella. Aquavella. Thank you. And it's got some amazing, amazing photographs of Lucien Freud's nude paintings, essentially. Um, and he handles paint... Very, very interestingly. Oh,
1: God, yeah, you can really see the... it's
0: rough.
1: It's really cakey, isn't it? And normally,
0: what I've found in my personal analysis of Lucian Freud paintings is that the figures, especially of the women he paints, their bodies tend to be painted smoother and their faces tend to be painted incredibly gritty. And it's very layered and it's very sort of clunky. And... And i would I would argue that there's possibly a lot of misogyny in that
1: yeah, I think maybe saving the really smooth, perfect, lovely texture for a woman's body mm. when she's in the scud is yeah. maybe you know a preferred thing, especially through the male gaze, you've got that layer as well, mm. but I do um, think yeah especially this is
0: this is the one I'm talking about
1: oh yeah, wow, and
0: I really struggle in this painting, the point.
1: Oh, in this painting.
0: Um which is titled Rhea Naked Portrait two thousand six to two thousand and seven. It's oil on canvas, thirty-four by sixty-four inches, and you can find it in Lucien Freud Monumental the book, or you can just give it a Google. And I really struggle to look at her face.
1: Because mm. the way
0: he has handled the physical substance of oil paint...
1: It's easier to look at her naked body in a suggestive position. Honestly, her
0: face is disgusting.
1: It, she looks like she's got scurvy. Oh.
0: Yeah, like, it's... And it really it's quite repulsing. Yeah. But her body...
1: Is so supple and...
0: Like, there's... She's there is hairless. Some, yeah, she's completely hairless. And... There is some texture, there's a textural element to all of it because but you just paint quite thick. nothing like
1: it's on the face.
0: No, and that's really interesting. I think
1: that's very because interesting. Because for me, yeah.
0: this painting does not talk about sex. No. This painting talks about the male gaze, misogyny, and objectification. And that's how I absorb his paintings.
1: This is what's interesting, is going back to when I was at the Musee d'Orsay, I saw so many oil nudes of women that whether they knew or not were being viewed through a sexual lens to be put on display it was almost a power thing yeah rather than it being work about the act of sex or the initiation of sex or the tenderness and the feeling and the ecstasy that comes with sex mm. it was more this idea of look how supple and soft and naked this person is
0: yeah
1: and they and that was kind of what spoke first and
0: what's What's also interesting is because Sophie and I have very different experiences as sexual beings mm. in our relationships. So if yeah. you're in a completely sexually and emotionally monogamous relationship with your partner, yes, yeah, I am in a emotionally monogamous but sexually very very open relationship with my partner, Mm-mm. and I think that potentially feeds into my experiences as a sexual being. And I wondered if you felt that your experiences as a woman. Mm and how this kind of painting yeah. and this exposure... like we've got a close up of this and it's
1: it's gross it's horrible she to look looks at. like a pile of cornflakes <laughs> it's really and i know what you mean it's i don't so, i don't want to look at her face i don't want
0: to so i'd rather look at like cuz there is don't get me wrong there is texture in her body but
1: this i i don't understand how he's got to that point because it's so no. much easier to look at her pubis, and look at her breasts, and look yeah, at her like soft to, like, look thighs, at her and her
0: thighs yeah, like, it's, it's, it, this is a challenge, mm. um, so yeah, I wondered if you felt or feel like your experiences as a woman, being exposed to work like this, like, going through the music d'Orsay, and knowing that the paintings of women tend to be incredibly performative.
1: Yeah, it was an interesting experience, because I... So I went with my friend, and we were both women, like, mm. young women, mm. going into this museum and just looking at these hairless, supple, almost, like, teenage-looking bodies. Sort very
0: angelic, very, very softly painted. Almost,
1: like, prepubescent, essentially. Because,
0: like, the majority of these what were or are still Renaissance works.
1: Yeah, like, renaissance era. Yeah. And there was... They all had basically invisible nipples like you couldn't see any there was nothing about them that felt real like
0: three-dimensional
1: and it just was it, what i find very interesting is that we talk a lot about sort of standards and sexualization sexualization of social media and influences and you know clothing getting a bit more skimpy and things like that mm. but actually looking around the Status quo was very much the same of all these women that were white, angelic, prepubescent, nippleless beings, mm. hairless beings that had no, had their skin had no imperfections, mm. they were so soft. So and... you've got like
0: that depiction of women. Mm. That you're absorbing as a woman. Yeah. And th- they are also the paintings that do take up a lot of space in permanent collections.
1: They were, some of them were huge.
0: Yeah. There was and like a
1: physical woman. Like
0: every gallery you walk into that isn't a rolling exhibition contemporary art gallery. Places like The Tate. Large. Large. Um, they have very, very big permanent collections. Mm. And a lot of the paintings in a lot of permanent collections, unless they're landscape paintings, mm. tend to be these very Renaissance-esque paintings of women. Yes. Um, so you've got that extreme, mm. but you've also got the extreme of Lucien Freud, for example. Yeah. Who objectively has painted a lot of women very nude in some very not great ways.
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting about the sexual lens is that it kind of doesn't matter whether both people are in on it. If one person wants to view the other one sexually, that's kind of endgame. So with the paintings I saw in the Musée d'Orsay, the painter wanted to look at the woman in a sexual way, Mm. so it had a sexual undertone. Yeah. And I think that with some of Freud's paintings, there's that element of nudity that's kind of got shock value because the exposure of there's one thing sort of painting a pubis or like the side of a breast but to paint like open genitalia like what's inside your body and it being so graphic and so realism based especially going back to what you were saying about oil paint about the textures that are used within that. Yeah. If you're painting genitalia and you've got you're laying it on really thick, whatever, it feels very graphic. And, and it using feels very sexual.
0: What I gain from looking at Lucien Freud's style of painting is it looks like he uses lumps of old paint with lumps of new paint hmm. and he just goes over and over and over and just creates these and don't get me wrong, fantastic painter
1: hmm. doesn't
0: make him a fantastic person.
1: No. Very so, few of them are.
0: Let's talk about somebody who we think is a fantastic painter. Who's that? <laughs> um, Alice Neal.
1: Alice Neal! Sorry. And you were looking at me here. expecting me to be, like, really telepathic with you, and I was just like, <laughs> no. no idea. No, honestly, this is what was really good about Alice Neal, is that when we went to go see her exhibition at the Barbican, there was elements of sexuality that were really 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 prevalent there was elements of like transgender people Mm. sex workers cross-dressers
0: and alice neal was a painter throughout essentially the whole of the 20th century yeah the 1900s
1: all of her life she was depicting people and she was she was very much sort of like by the people for the people
0: Oh, 100 percent she was she described herself as a humanist
1: mm, which I think um, is really lovely
0: she loved people yeah it's actually it's this painting um, and it's called uh, Nazi's murdered Jews," and we saw this painting for exactly what it is in the Barbican mm. and this was not one of her more nude and sexual and oh frivolous paintings it is incredibly political
1: it was sort of slapped in the middle of stuff she did in her early life and then when she was because she was a humanist she was very very accepting and she had mm. a really diverse set of people that she knew and the fact that that was painted in 1936 so three years before world war Two, yeah is very very moving
0: incredibly it was quite scary quite scary to, to look at mm. and i think that really enthusiastic political nature to her paintings was taken into her figurative portraiture. So she didn't always exclusively paint nude people, she painted a lot of portraits with clothed people, she painted children, she painted young and old people. Yeah. Um, She painted a lot of people from minority groups, so she painted black people, she painted brown people, she painted queer people, she painted transgender people. Mm.
1: There's one painting that comes to mind of hers and it was towards the end of the exhibition at the Barbican. It might be in it's, uh, it's someone kneeling down and they have uh, their clitoris pierced. Oh, yeah. And they're wearing kind of crotchless underwear and you can kind of see it dangling down. And they're wearing kind of a bit of a um, kind of like showgirl costume wear
0: yes she's um it
1: it just exuded so much confidence and sexuality and she was like in her like 60s 70s when she painted that yeah and it was just so interesting how someone who i don't think alice neal was particularly sexual in and of herself but it didn't stop her from
0: experiencing it they weren't all arguably great paintings but they when curated and exhibited together, they really, like, said and felt everything they needed to say and feel. Yeah. Now, with Alice Neal, I would not argue that every single one of Alice Neal's individual paintings, because who would for an artist, um, felt, like, incredible.
1: Yeah, they're not all winners.
0: And they're not all proportionally great. Mm. They're not all they don't all have the same energy to them, but the way in which they were curated in the Barbican, hands down that exhibition changed my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there was something about walking through that space, and it was essentially multiple rooms. If you've never been into the Barbican building, really, really recommend it. Absolutely stunning. They always have beautiful exhibitions on there. Um you essentially walked around a, a square space with multiple rooms and sort of segments and you were walking through this woman's whole life mm. from when she painted from birth till death and one of her last paintings which was from 1980 mm. so it's not the very last but one of her much much later paintings is a self-portrait of her nude mm. and it took her five years
1: yeah it took a lot of attempts
0: to paint this painting mm. and it's not sexual. And I don't know if it feels not sexual because she's an old lady.
1: I think it? it's, for me, because it was one of the first uh, paintings you saw when you walked into the exhibition. Yes,
0: it, it was really interestingly placed, wasn't it? It was literally the one of the first ones you saw was her nude self-portrait. And, and this then was it like... kind
1: of walked you through the chronology of it. But mm. I think it's her... You can feel the tension in her body. Yeah, uh, you can feel the tension that she's so uncomfortable with being viewed in that way Mm. as a naked old lady.
0: She said in a videoed interview which played on a loop in the exhibition that she's so glad she did it but she she never was ready to do it before and should never do it again. Yeah. Um, So yeah really really interesting.
1: And this is what can be so overwhelming inside and outside of art about sex and being viewed sexually Mm. is one thing that's very very overwhelming this is certainly the case for me when I became sort of on the cusp of 17 18 as I was getting really panicked because I knew I was old enough to have sex which meant people might be viewing me sexually Mm. and that made me really uncomfortable yeah and I think with someone like Alice Neal, making a painting where she's being she's very uncomfortable with the idea of being seen naked and because being naked can mean so many things of being vulnerable
0: i mean how many of us have had nightmares about being <laughs> naked in places i had a nightmare last night that my piano teacher joined our zoom call and i was naked
1: and it's just this idea of being vulnerable this idea of like being seen in a way you don't want to be seen yeah. and i feel like this is a good segue to talk about To talk more about the sex element in a different way. Yes. So, Yayo Kusama, who is... She is the lovely polka dot pumpkin lady that we all know and love today. However... If you've
0: never had the privilege of absorbing her work, you just Google it, go to the tape, do anything you can, because it is incredible.
1: Mm. So, Yayo Kusama, very troubled start to life, and she's one of those artists that had... A, there was a series of events that led to her having the life she has now, yeah. her living the way she lives now, and essentially she had quite a troubled childhood and a very interesting exposure to sex at a very young age as her father was having an affair and her mother used to make her go and spy on her father as he was yeah. being unfaithful to report back to her mother about the shenanigans he was getting into. Mm. So Which
0: is... Of course, we can acknowledge this, especially now. That is an incredibly over childhood and a very, very, like, worrying kind of exposure to a parent in a sexual manner.
1: Yeah there were so many things that were way beyond her maturity level I think she mm. was literally like 6 or 7 so it was something that she saw and absorbed and then had to respond to and the way she responded was being so fearful of sex so fearful mm-hmm. of phallic shapes because it was such a it was such a stark and brash exposure mm. to what sex was and even though Kusama doesn't make work about sex And she doesn't make work that's sexual her the work she makes now was influenced by her exposure to sex and
0: arguably what one might describe from a outside perspective is elements of trauma inform our practices and that's not necessarily the same for every single artist but i can speak from that experience even as somebody who paints very beautiful very you know emotionally vulnerably charged pretty paintings hmm. my you know my trauma definitely informs that so i Absolutely. can imagine for somebody like yo-yo kasama that kind of trauma that's instilled in an overly sexualized childhood has a huge impact in, in what she makes and how she makes it now
1: yeah and i think her work being born out of sex but not being sexual is an interesting element to the mm. episode there's a piece of work that i researched um that's called accumulation number one and it was done in 1962 and it is and it's an armchair there's quite a few different sculptures but mm-hmm. one of them was the armchair and it's covered in hand sewn and painted fallacies so you've got i think one was a like a rowboat and there was another i think there was another chair maybe and there's hundreds of these cloth penises. Right. That are all over this armchair. Really
0: interesting material choice as well.
1: Flaccid. Because
0: you could you can sew into cardboard mm. but choosing something that is flaccid and soft and malleable like cloth.
1: And also functional as an armchair technically. Yeah. If you were to obviously probably don't do that, get you in a bit of trouble but. Yeah um, if, you, if you go and see how <laughs> work Don't I go to a gallery sure. and just sit on the artworks but um, <laughs> it was this, so Kusama sought comfort in the repetition of things, Mm -hmm. which is what you see later on. With her polka dots Yeah, and the infinity rooms, things like that Mm -hmm. and I think there was this oversaturation of penises to kind of take the power away from them. There was so I got this article from Creative Boom and Midori Yoshimoto said that she castrates the power associated with phthali, turning them into benign elements that decorate women's domestic space. So this idea that it just takes all of the... Because when you see, like, a naked penis for the first time, or a naked person for the first time, it's a bit jarring.
0: Oh, incredibly. If
1: someone just, like, flashes you, it's frightening, it's scary. Well, and,
0: you know, like, the law has changed. So Mm. flashing somebody, which is, of course, always without consent, is sexual assault. So very, very interesting to essentially be flashing your audience but removing all of the power...
1: You're flashing From... them hundreds and hundreds of times to the point where what you're seeing becomes so unsurprising.
0: Which feels like a metaphor for the incredibly patriarchal society we still live in. Mm. We're kind of overly exposed to men. <laughs> Male penises.
1: And I think as well this idea of them being flaccid where an erect penis has the power to penetrate. Mm. It has the power. It has power. Has, power. Yeah. has power.
0: And that's the problem.
1: And I think having this flaccid material flaccid penises Mm. having it in a domestic object which makes it boring
0: yeah so boring it
1: just makes it less visually shocking
0: but that kind of reminds me of what we were saying about the ancient greeks how they had genitalia and sexual positions and sexual depictions or nude depictions Mm. on household items Mm. and that is essentially what Kasama has done but it's Seems and feels to be born out of a different narrative. Absolutely. And that's really, really interesting because if you do have a look at some of um, ancient Greek uh, household items, cutlery for example, that is uh, either carved into, engraved, or sculpted on um, with these kind of sexual or nude images, it feels born out of pleasure. They feel sort yeah. of born out of, like, yeah, this is what we do. We're sexual people. And it was very, very normal. Whereas you look at Kasama's work, mm. and there it isn't born out of
1: that at all. It's different sides of the same coin, isn't it? Mm, the, sex, yeah. the sex coin we all have. Um, we
0: all have a sex coin. We all
1: have the sex coin and that we... we spend when we lose our virginity. That's what's, <laughs> and then the stalk when comes you, down. <laughs>
0: when you give yourself away. <laughs> so um, with
1: the, yeah, so with the ancient Greek things it was very very normal and it was very comfortable and Mm. there was a lot of religious elements as well which kind of added to that comfort
0: you don't feel a sense of comfort from knowing Kusama's story, you yeah. might find a sense of comfort in her work because she does.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, she uses... It's almost like exposure therapy.
0: Mm, and that kind of sense of comfort can come from how normal something looks when you look at it a hundred times, especially in one room.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: like, if you were to see one wall in one house with polka dot wallpaper, you'd probably be like, that stands out and that's a bit weird. No offence if you're a polka dot wallpaper person. (laughs) However, if you walk into a house that every single wall exclusively has wallpapered polka dots on it, you would be like, oh, this becomes normal.
1: You're not going to remember one dot.
0: No, no. You're just going to be like, that's what that house looks like. And that's what you kind of feel when you explore Kusama's work.
1: Absolutely. And especially in the 60s as well, where, you know, women were being on the pill and were being sexually liberated. There was lots of things Mm. that were being very, very sex positive. And I think this work being so jarring in a way Mm. and being kind of very anti sex Might have been a bit against the grain at the time because of how sexually liberated everyone else was at the time, yes, and how this how the trajectory of where society was going with exploration of sexuality and queerness being more accepted, yes, slowly but surely. Baby steps, I mean, we're still a (laughs) little bit backwards today, but
0: yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, so yeah, she's oh, fantastic artist to look at, and of course. From our perspective, as painters, mm. we engage with her installation, her sculptural work, her hand, handcrafted mm. is how her work feels um, in a very in a very interesting way. I also don't feel like her work would connect if yeah. it was on a two dimensional canvas, you know. So, some really interesting things to think about.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think this brings us on to the next artist I was looking to speak about. So, with I was thinking about Keith Harri- Keith Haring's work and he really hit the nail on the head because I was thinking a lot about the graphic symbols he uses Mm. and you've got, so there was the very famous crack is whack billboard that he made. And there was also a lot of stuff in the peak of the AIDS epidemic of practicing safe sex. Mm -hmm. And you've got two erect guys, Mm -hmm. supposedly obviously raceless, genderless Mm -hmm. and arguably sexless you've got two figures with
0: erect penises
1: wanking each other off yeah and there's no there's no sex in Mm -hmm. that there's no sexualness towards that yeah you've got there's a i saw a lithograph actually and it's of a giant condom with a face Mm -hmm. um oh it's a giant knob with a face it's holding a condom and it says safe sex like practice safe sex right okay and it's this light there's almost like a light-hearted element but what i was thinking about when i was doing research about this yesterday was this sexless element of his graphic kind of pornographic lithographs Mm -hmm. that's a bit of a mouthful well (laughs) well (laughs) i think that was potentially deliberate Mm -hmm. because of how serious he wanted to be about safe sex and about queerness and about aids of taking this the fun part of sex out of it and being serious yeah because it was, it wasn't sexual, but it was very involved with sex.
0: Yes, and this is, re- this also, strangely, but I think it's relevant, reminds me of Francis Bacon. Absolutely. Because Bacon and Haring made work pretty much at the same time.
1: Hmm. God, that's weird with the timeline, isn't it? It
0: is. And so did Alice Neal, Keith Haring, Francis Bacon, Lucian Freud. At
1: some point, we're all painting at the same time. We're all
0: painting at the same time, which is really cool.
1: Hmm.
0: Now, no shade on Francis Bacon himself. Yeah. Fantastic artist. Horrible paintings. But I'm going to elaborate on why I've decided to use that word. Yeah. I remember being exposed to Bacon's practice and his paintings when I was about 15 or 16, and I really, really struggled to look at it because a lot of Bacon's work is charged by violence and trauma.
1: You can, like, feel a bit gross looking at them. Yeah. I I can't absorb lots of his work at once. I yeah. can, like, sense... I can, like, feel his shame... Yes. ...about being a and suspected queer person. I don't
0: think Keith Haring had that kind of shame. It wasn't Not about having all. shame. But they both handled sex in what they made, in how they worked, but it translated differently.
1: Absolutely. So you got
0: these kind of um, iconographic, um, sort of thick, bold line pieces that were educational and funny, but also like incredibly important during the uh, AIDS epidemic from Keith Haring, but you were also getting these shame-filled, very kind of emotively painted, quite difficult to absorb pieces from Francis Bacon, both stemming from the experiences and ultimately the oppression of queer people.
1: Absolutely, because I think with Haring's work of going back to those two Um, those two figures Mm. masturbating one another, it was explicit, but it wasn't sexual. Yes. And I think with Francis Bacon's work, it was very sexually charged, but there's not really any genitalia present. It's not
0: overly explicit. No. It it just just
1: feels gross.
0: Yes. Yeah, it really, really does. And that's why he was such a fantastic artist. And I feel like... Because that's, he made us feel. And that's what we were talking about at the start of the episode. Yeah. There is no such thing in our opinion, Mm. as really good or really bad art. There is such a thing as having art that you don't engage with because you're not feeling anything because of it. And you've got art that you are feeling all of the feelings about whether that be positive or negative or happy or sad or emotional or aggressive reaction, you're reacting. Mm. And that's very much who we are as people. And we're trying to describe artists and look at works that're making us react.
1: Yeah, it doesn't matter whether something makes you if something makes you furious, mm. that's a good thing. Mm. That's sometimes usually that's the intent of a piece.
0: And a lot of what we've kind of summarized with Keith Haring and Francis Bacon's work really was the foundation of my practice, Mm. it's really what my practice was born out of. I remember just seeing so many artists from before but particularly from the 20th century who could not be themselves because being gay was illegal. Trans people were not, did not have rights, um, especially in the UK um lesbian women were not even recognized as lesbian women that wasn't even deemed a thing um of course i was exposed to the aids epidemic through educational television Mm. i mean russell t davies who's the uh, original showrunner for doctor who from 2005 he's just come back he also wrote it's a sin yes yeah he wrote it's a sin um, he also wrote the original um, Cucumber and Banana. He also wrote... Is it Queer as Folk? He also wrote Queer as Folk. I watched Queer as Folk probably when I was a little bit too young, but I owe a lot of my queer, my initial queer exposure and education to Russell T Davies because that man encapsulated so beautifully what queer experience is and was like. When he wrote and released It's a Sin, it broke hearts across the nation. It yeah. broke hearts all over the world. If you haven't watched it, go and watch it. It is a, it is a, an artwork in of itself. And what that did for me is it showed me how rough it's been. Like, how bad things have been, and how challenging and how heartbreaking things have been for queer people. And I could... I genuinely could have chosen to navigate my practice to make work about how hard it is being queer and how difficult it is being trans, but what I felt that I didn't get from looking at other artists and other programs and, you know, other writings was there wasn't as much comfort as I wanted because not, not a lot of it was great. Yeah. So...
1: You don't necessarily want to be reminded of how hard it is to be who you are mm. you know that
0: so i started to make work about intimacy and about love even at a time where i didn't actually know what being in love was yeah and i started to make work about my identity and the identity of other queer people and like, what touch is like as a queer person. One of the first things I painted when this narrative really started to inform my practice about five years ago was, like, the simple touch of a hand on a chest. Mm. And I, like, found something in that. I found a comfort and a drive and, like, this beautiful, beautiful subject matter. And then I kind of, you know... It was like a big fucking snowball down the hill yeah. after that. You're like
1: a gentle touch, a knob in the mouth, and then... <laughs>
0: Come drizzling down the chin. And
1: then we're going to go back to the lovely, tender, beautiful... Yes. Customer. But it's all in the realm of sex, and it's all in the realm of queerness and it's, as well.
0: And it all stems from oppression.
1: This is brings me on to a very lovely quote that I found yesterday mm-hmm. from the Keith Haring Foundation. I think this was... I don't know if it's the article name, but it was from the page Sex is Life is Sex, which I thought was a great,
0: very well a great article well to find.
1: And um, it described Herring's work that cries from the heart and calls for deliverance, the complexity of human relations where force, seduction, attraction, desire, degradation, self-destruction and self-development run very closely together. So his work was so much more than just sexual and graphic. Mm-hmm. It had so much emotion in it with having so little detail.
0: And... What Keith Haring encapsulates within his work is this desire to make it simple, which is why it's lacking in detail. Yeah, It's like that desire to be like, it isn't this complicated. It's how I feel about trans rights, especially in the UK and the US, very Western kind of issues going on right now. You know, it doesn't have to be this difficult. I think it doesn't have to away, be this hard. I
1: think stripping away the identities of his figures mm. by making them just the outlines of people, it could be anyone. It yeah. could be anyone of any race, any sexual identity.
0: We're all born naked, the rest is drag. And the I think... The yeah.
1: nakedness is... And the
0: nakedness that you find in Keith, Haring, in Keith Haring's work... Is Because it's not, like, realistically naked, and it's not skin tone, but it doesn't need to be. No,
1: it's it's graphic. There's
0: no drag there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is what I love so much about Haring's work, is that this evoking of really complex emotions, Mm. sexual emotions, emotions relating to queerness and identity, is conveyed out of something so stripped back and Mm -hmm. so simple. Absolutely. And I love that. So... We've gone to the 60s. We went to ancient Greece. Yeah. And Keith Haring, Alice Neal. We talked a lot about.
0: Yeah, we talked a lot about the 20th century.
1: So I want to maybe go in the middle of that and want to go to the 1940s. Stunning. And I would like to talk about one of my all time favourite painters, the father of surrealists, Ren Magritte. So as a. Or
0: Magritte, if you picture him as a cat
1: perfect we've got all audiences covered so ren Magri had similar to kusama had a very 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 tragic life yeah had a very rough start to life and essentially he watched he witnessed his mother being fished out of a river after she drowned herself when he was 14 so he his mother killed herself And then he saw the aftermath of that. Mm -hmm. And when he saw her being fished out of the water, her nightgown was tangled around her face Mm -hmm. and her bare body, dead, Uh was left exposed. And as a 14 year old boy coming into the world and seeing that. That
0: is very informative, to then, say the least.
1: Absolutely. You're being slapped in the face with the exposure of anything and everything. Mm. So, uh, discretion is advised, essentially. Uh huh. So, this painting that he made, pictured above, is called The Rape. Mm. And it's a painting of a woman's face, a portrait of a woman's face. And it replaces her facial features with sexual organs. So instead of the eyes, there are breasts. Mm -hmm. Instead of the nose, it's a navel. And instead of the mouth, it's pubis Uh slash vagina. So it was a response to his mother's suicide because that's what he saw. Mm -hmm. But also part of the reason I find it really interesting is because the undertone is how the man views woman yes you're looking at a woman's face but you're not seeing her face you're seeing her naked body
0: yeah you're not seeing her
1: you're seeing an exposure of genitalia you're seeing an exposure of very private and sacred parts that you want to be that are naked and like the hair is meant to be is quite messy in an odd shape it represents pubic hair some people say um so this was something that was a very very striking painting when you look at it because at first glance it looks like a kind of -of run-of-the-mill portrait then you look into it and actually the gaze that uh, like breasts as eyes and it it represents a face. It's mm. it's so easy to stare at and look into. Mm. And then some people argue as well, because the hair represents pubic hair and the neck's quite long and curved and the shape of the head. It's this idea of the, um, sort of the head and shoulders penetrating as well. There's mm-hmm. another element of that with the title as well, with mm-hmm. the rape. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's assaulting your yeah. vision. It's assaulting the painting. Mm. There's a lot of... There's a lot of aggression and it's it's quite an ugly painting, but Mm -hmm. it's something that you can look at for a long time. And I think with a lot of Magritte's work and a lot of surrealist work, there's a lot of this, it's kind of painted in almost kind of no man's land. It's very Mm. in between worlds, this sort of dreamlike state where the background might be, it's quite hard to gauge where it is. And it was something that when I was doing research about art and sex and, you know, we could talk about Andy Warhol's piss paintings and cum paintings and things like that. Which I'm
0: sure we will one day.
1: Um, But the things that I was looking at when it came to the idea of sex and art is that I thought that was a really interesting painting to talk about because of the title.
0: Yes, because we can talk about empowerment and we can talk about sexual identity But there is another element to sex which isn't sex at all, and that is assault.
1: Absolutely. And
0: I imagine for him, in his trauma, as we sort of said earlier about, you know, Yo-Yo Kusama, your trauma informing your art practice, Mm. that exposure could have felt like a rape. For
1: him absolutely absolutely and that's
0: where this piece was born out of
1: yeah and i think when you're thinking about sex and when you're talking about sex there's this idea of it being there's lots of different ways that you can there's lots of different like names that sex falls under there's like Mm. making love and there's fucking and like the difference in that language and how charged it is And what that represents, Mm -hmm. you know, with an artist like Tracy Emin, where she makes work about, I, this was the first time I've made love in six years, and it's beautiful and tender, and then she goes, I was fucked, and I was left. Mm. It really changes the perspective on (sighs) sexuality and the the sexualness of it all.
0: Which I also think, for us as artists, we take a lot from this, because... Mm it's a big part of the reason I do paint things so beautiful that depict very very beautiful images and I also think it's why you Sophie Mm. paint things that are nude without being sexual
1: absolutely I think this idea of this vulnerable form mm. I want a vulnerable form to be vulnerable without this idea of like when they're gonna have sex yeah I think that sex is important and some people think sex is everything but like we were saying about how we're very very different painters like we've got very different outlooks to sex like I've been there when it's happened yeah but like it's not something that I necessarily. Where is as part of my identity mm. and it's not necessarily something that I particularly if at all like mention or talk about in my art because I just yeah. for me I don't think it's necessary I think that maybe I've got a subconscious idea that as a woman I'm a bit worried that that's going to be an undertone anyway so I don't mm-hmm. want to give any more attention and time to it
0: yeah and, and I, I think, think that's definitely that's definitely a very big topic that will probably go into a lot more detail in our identity episode.
1: Absolutely. So
0: absolutely come back for that one. Mm. Closing statements. This is our first time doing this ever. Yes. This is our first podcast. This is our first video recording. This will be our first YouTube video, apart from maybe the ones that we made as children.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What is up you guys? Welcome back to my channel. Yeah, we don't want it to be that.
0: But we hope that you have found this informative. We hope that what we've talked about gives you a really good understanding about who we are and how we work and the things that we just enjoy. Hmm. So we'll be releasing our episodes on mostly a weekly basis. Yes. Um, I am going to put above or below what our Instagram, our TikTok, our YouTube um, and our podcast link is for like apple music and spotify
1: yeah for our podcast
0: listeners thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us
1: yeah this has been uh, this is as a first experience i was a bit worried because with something like a podcast you always want to make sure you're going to be interesting enough and fun enough yeah so if we
0: haven't been i'm sorry if
1: no one has got to this point i completely understand (laughs) no worries whatsoever but this has been something that we have this is something that i would really like to continue doing yeah say that this is honestly something that I've had such a love for art for my entire life Yes. and I feel like this being a platform for us to talk about things mm. and for us to share our thoughts and it's opinions and experience, I'm so happy that we're doing yes. this. Yes,
0: so if you do want to support us, like our videos, follow our social media.
1: Just tell us what you think, tell us yes. if you enjoyed it.
0: And tell other people tell other people about us Hmm. and get more people listening thank you so much
1: yeah thank you and we hope you have a lovely rest of your day rest of your evening and
0: we'll chat to you guys next week
1: yeah we'll see you guys soon
0: bye Bye.